Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriel Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota and let's go places. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen. Brendan, no longer feeling lightheaded like you were just a moment ago. Yeah, really don't know what was up with that. We were about 30 seconds before the podcast was going to go live. Poor timing. And then all of a sudden, there comes the lightheadedness. I guess it didn't... Uh, you know, could have happened a couple minutes later, mid-sentence. Sure. Which would have been bad. Yeah. But let's hope you don't pass out on this podcast. Maybe. Are you yeah, still feeling- It could be a, a fun little twist in the podcast. It's a, it's like a murder mystery, except there's no mystery and there's no murder. It's just I pass out. You're just watching. You are just have that on your mind because you watched Glass Onion recently yes. and the menu. So yeah, I was two- thinking of doing the, the Blanc voice for the entire podcast, but I didn't know if that would stick. Yeah, like the, that's the weird kind of southern twang. It, sort of like molasses. Yeah, you just got a whole bunch mouth. of stuff in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe you were still feeling the effects of New Year's. It, that's entirely possible. Yeah, it was a long New Year's weekend yeah, in New York it? City. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Got to you see some friends from college. And you didn't see the ball drop in New York, right? I did not. Okay. No, I was, was not smart. in the Manhattan-y Times Square sort of scene. They did add a Y to Manhattan recently. So, right. Yeah. Well, it that's, is the Manhattan. That's a new thing. And now it's the Bronxy. It's, you know, it, Brooklyn-y. Yeah. Banksy really started the whole trend. But now it, it was great. Got to see some friends. Uh, my bank account is a little worse for wear. Mm. On That's that's a typical New Year's tradition, I feel like. Well, yeah, somewhat. But on New Year's Eve, fr- some friends and I went out. I, I was going to buy some flex. drinks for... A, yeah, Flex. Well, I was going to buy some drinks for a few of my friends, which I thought would be a little bit of an expensive endeavor because it is New York City. But yes. I thought if I kept it to a few, I would be good to go. And then throughout the night, some other people that were with us continued to come up to me and say, hey, put some drinks on your tab. And I went, well, why'd you do that? Yeah. And and, and there it was. Talking? You said a few. Probably 12 people. 12 people. Yeah. And this isn't just a casual drink. This is New Year's Eve. So New Year's Eve you know, in are gonna be drinking New a lot. York City. Yeah. So the, there was a large group of people that continued to tell me that they just, were putting drinks on my tab. and I would just shoot everybody a Venmo request. I tried to bring it up casually the next morning and be like, hey, like, I spent a lot of money on drinks last night. And everyone yep. was like, oh, yeah, thanks for that. Great. So if you are one of Brendan's friends... And you have been, <laughs> and you are watching this podcast, which you are not. One, you're a freeloader. Two, uh, you know, <laughs> just go after Ven- him. Venmo Brendan. Well, you said they're not listening, so no, they're know, definitely can, not. I listening. can say whatever I want. Yeah. Uh, Venmo Brendan, a, a few, uh, few, or even if you're not my friend and you want to Venmo Brendan, that, we that should, works too. You know, we should have right in the middle here just a QR code. Yeah, or just our Venmo names. Yeah, uh, just you know, instead of our Twitter handles, we put our Venmos. Like we're we've got a drive going just for our personal personal benefit yeah uh, brendan on this episode we've got a mailbag episode Woo. i think we got to the point now where we have enough fans outside of our immediate family uh that follow this podcast to the point where we can ask people to send in submissions yeah. for their questions and they can actually provide it we're not just tweeting out into the abyss people actually pay attention to the show some people 
Yeah. And uh, we're going to try to answer as many questions as we got over the last week. I think the last time we did one of these episodes, I just got my mom to submit a bunch of questions and then I yeah. would make up fake Twitter handles and make it seem like I did a, a bunch of people were asking, but in reality, it was just my mom. I did a college radio show where somebody actually did that. Oh, that's was, tough. Uh, he's no longer in the business. Uh, <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. I was the producer for that show. Uh, so thank you, Mom, for your 18 submissions and for the 18 t- fake Twitter handles that you sent over. Uh, but first, Brendan, before we do our mailbag portion, we should talk about the news and notes uh, from the Orioles recently. Of course, they wait until New Year's Eve. Thank goodness they didn't wait until 11.59. It was a couple hours before New Year's to make a roster move, and that was to send Tyler Nevin to the Detroit Tigers for cash considerations. Yeah, it was a little bit surprising going back to the DFA of Tyler Nevin. I think there were some other names on the 40-man roster that we were thinking would get that designation before Nevin, Chris Valamont being one of them, who we'll get to in a minute. Who just got DFA'd. Who just got DFA'd. But... I think it was a little bit surprising, but made sense given the fact that Nevin was a position player and that he was probably, if he was going to make this Orioles team crack the opening day roster, he was going to be a backup first baseman, maybe play some third, maybe play some corner outfield. The addition of James McCann kind of fills the role that Tyler Nevin could have potentially had. And I think at that point, Nevin just becomes redundant. So they make that move. They also use the cash considerations that I guess they got from the Tigers and send them right back to the Kansas City Royals in exchange for Ryan O'Hearn. So I think the Nevin move made sense because, like you said, that role was redundant. But then the Orioles go out and they acquire another first baseman. So you're losing Nevin, a first baseman. You're getting back a first baseman who has no better of a track record, I, I think. Maybe a slightly better track record than Tyler Nevin. They DFA Chris Valamont to do it. The advantage for me, and I think the reason they would do this sort of O'Hearn for Nevin swap, we don't know exactly how much money exchanged hands here, so maybe they were paying less for Ryan O'Hearn than they were getting for Tyler Nevin, but still, O'Hearn is a lefty. And it's very clear that the Orioles want a lefty first baseman. They want as many lefty bats as they possibly can. And it makes sense when you're trying to find somebody to back up righty Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah, the approach to this backup first baseman spot has been interesting. I think both you and I were kind of picturing a bigger bat that could be your backup first baseman, but play a lot of designated hitter in the lineup where the Orioles seem to be a little bit more content with just finding somebody who doesn't need to play more than 20, 30 games, won't necessarily be your primary designated hitter, but can be your first baseman in a pinch if you need him to. So Franchi Cordero, Lewin Diaz, who is no longer with the organization, but was seemingly the plan for a little while. Now Ryan O'Hearn, they fill a very similar category of a player that you don't need to play a lot of games and they aren't really going to be your designated hitter, but they are a decent first baseman option if you need them. Yeah, Josh Lester, somebody Josh that, Lester that as they well. signed to a minor yep. league contract earlier in the offseason. O'Hearn is entering his age 29 season. He hit uh, 239 with just a single homer and a 611 OPS in 67 games for the Royals last year. Not great career numbers. 219 average, 38 career homers, 683 OPS. So he's not guaranteed a roster spot out of camp. Neither is Franchi Cordero. Neither is Josh Lester. I think they're hoping right now that if they can't add somebody else on a big league contract over the coming weeks, that 
one of these guys will break out in camp and earn, a, earn his way onto the 26 man. Yeah, it just seems like they'll go into spring training with a bunch of different low-risk options and just say, hey, somebody go win the job. Right. And odds are somebody will. Probably somebody will. Right. You, you hope. That somebody will probably not be Eric Cosmer. No. Which, to my dismay, John Heyman reporting that he is close to a deal with the Chicago Cubs. And it was only a week ago that John Heyman said that both the Orioles and the Cubs had Eric Hosmer on their radar. Brendan, I've made it quite clear on this podcast my feelings for Eric Hosmer. Maybe too clear. Maybe too clear. I've spent far too much of my breath talking about Eric Hosmer, a yeah. player I don't particularly have that much attachment to, but I felt the need to defend my take that the Orioles should be interested in a player of his ilk. It appears that that will not come to fruition. I think there is at least still some vindication for you, given the fact that it was reported that the Orioles had interest in him. I think so, too. And but alas. we saw an outcry of anger from Orioles fans. The All the anger that was directed my way right. when I tweeted, would be a good fit in Baltimore, Eric Hosmer, then went John Heyman's way when he reported that the Orioles were interested. So good to know how Orioles fans still feel about Eric Hosmer. They don't like him. That 2014 like Royals him. team uh, cut deep. It really did. <laughs> Some scars there. Some serious yeah. scars. But Eric Hosmer seems to be on the way to Chicago. Would have made sense, but it's another backup first baseman type off the board. Yeah. And the Orioles can still fill that void if they choose to sign somebody to a major league contract. I know we've talked about uh, Brandon Belt from the Giants kind of fitting a, an archetype there if the Orioles want to sign somebody. But like you said, adding James McCann makes that need a little bit lessened because he has nine career games at first base and he has the ability to play there. And he said in his uh, first media availability with Orioles media yesterday that he has had discussions uh, with the Orioles about playing first base and he seems pretty comfortable with that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he noted that it seems like it's the plan that both he and Adley Rutschman will play some first base next year yeah it seems like if the Orioles need a backup first baseman say if Franchi Cordero doesn't come out of camp and win that job then the Orioles might just be content rolling into the year without a pure backup first baseman and having it be some combination of James McCann and Adley Rutschman that could be something that they're looking for in spring training as well just yeah. which one of those guys is able to you know show some prowess at that position defensively optionality all right let's get into the mailbag Brendan shall Ooh. we Let's start with uh, the free agent market and a question from Todd Martin, loyal follower of the Mass and All Access podcast. He asks, who left on the free agent market would actually be worth going after? Mention Brandon Belt. I think if the Orioles want to fill first base, he makes sense. Starting pitcher-wise, Michael Walker is still out there. We've talked a lot about him on this podcast. Johnny Cueto talked about Zach Renke a little bit last week. How about Zach Davies, a name that we really haven't talked about on this podcast? 30 years old, had a pretty good year last year, 409 ERA, almost seven strikeouts per nine in 134 innings last year. Now, remember, he is an original Orioles draft pick from 2011, 26th rounder, and then he was traded to the Brewers for Gerardo Parra. And given that he signed just a one-year, $1.75 million deal with the Diamondbacks last year, I don't imagine him breaking the bank, even though he was pretty solid for Arizona. Yeah, I think he would be a decent option. The part of this question that I'm looking at is the worth going after, because I think there are a lot of starters on the free agent market right now 
that you could add to this rotation and theoretically say, say, yeah, I think they make you a little bit better. I mean, they give you depth. They give you veteran experience. They give you some good traits that would be helpful during this season. But the depth in the starting rotation, at least for me right now, isn't really something that's moving the needle. When you look at how this roster is currently constructed, guys like Spencer Watkins, Austin Voth, D.L. Hall, we're not currently projecting to be in the starting rotation. And I feel like if you're adding somebody like Zach Davies, you've essentially just thrown another name into that mix. And when you're talking about which free agents would really be worth going after at this point, I'm still very much in the camp that if you wanted to get another starting pitcher to go along with the addition of Kyle Gibson, it would have made more sense to get somebody who is a number two, number three type of pitcher, which is why we're still looking at somebody like Michael Waka, who has that potential, or Johnny Cueto, who had a good season last year. I think Zach Davies just kind of gives you another depth piece, which isn't bad. It's just not necessarily what you're looking for right now. I just think the ship has mostly sailed I on agree. the needle movers at this point. We've already seen, I think, the last of the second tier of starting pitchers was Nathan Avaldi, yes. who already signed last week. I think he represented the last of that group that included Chris Bassett and Ross Stripling, maybe Matthew Boyd, Jamison Tyone. Those guys being off the board took out free agency as an option to significantly upgrade your rotation. That doesn't mean the Orioles can't still do it via trade, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, whether it's going out and trying to acquire Tarek Skubal or Pablo Lopez or somebody of that ilk. But I think the first tier is definitely gone for starting pitcher, and I think the second tier has been cleared out at this point. So you're looking for third or fourth tier starting pitchers, and I think it, it depends on the price for me because – I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to go out and get a third or fourth tier starting pitcher like a Davies or like a Cueto or like a Waka because depth is going to be key. And, and maybe you're looking at your roster right now and saying we have plenty of depth because we have Grayson Rodriguez, who's probably going to make the rotation. We have Dean Kramer. We have Tyler Wells. We have Kyle Bradish. We have John Means coming back midseason. But injuries happen and things change sure. over the course of the season. And maybe you get to July and... Knock on wood, hope this doesn't happen, but somebody in that rotation goes down with a serious injury. Tyler Wells has had a series of injuries over the course of his young career. Maybe Dean Kramer reverts back to his 2021 self as opposed to his 2022 self, and they just don't have the kind of depth that they thought they did at the beginning of the year. And then you're in a position where you need to go out and trade for somebody at the deadline. You'd much rather have the depth, and if he a player like Davies comes at the right price point, like three, $4 million, it might be worth bringing him in the building and adding to that rotation that you are going to need 162 games from. Yeah, I agree. And again, I don't think there are huge downsides to bringing in a depth kind of starting pitcher. Right. But when I'm looking at somebody that I feel comfortable having in the rotation for a while, at least half the season, maybe the Orioles could flip somebody. I think it's Zach Greinke, Michael Waka, Johnny Cueto are the three names that jump out to me as players that I am comfortable having in the rotation. Because quite honestly, if you're bringing in a Zach Davies and having Davies start every five days, I think those, I, I think that scenario brings up questions of, hey, I'd just rather have D.L. Hall thrown every five days. Uh, unless he pitches very well. Sure. I mean, unless he gets a, a stop, uh, you know, regular starts in that rotation and takes the ball and runs with it. And he 
is a 350 ERA guy instead of just a 4 ERA guy. Which is possible. Yeah. I'm just saying that I would rather have Zach Greinke starting every five days and have him be the reason that D.L. Hall isn't starting every five rather than somebody like Zach Davies doesn't really have the track record, doesn't have the upside. Maybe he comes in and pitches really well and a pitcher like that proves me wrong. But I think those would be the tier of pitchers that would present those kinds of questions for me. How about a Dylan Bundy? Eh, he's no. somewhere in between. I, I think he's no. somewhere in between Davies and like a Cueto. But again, I, I wouldn't really be comfortable starting Bundy every five days because I'd rather just see what D.L. Hall has at that point. I think he's a step below Davies even. I think that he is probably going to cost only a couple million because he, since leaving the Orioles, he had that one good short stint with the Angels in 2020 after he was dealt away for four prospects. But other than that, he really hasn't been a very good starting pitcher. And it's not like he unlocked anything with the Orioles in 2019 when he had Brandon Hyde and the new coaching staff but it's not like Michael Gibbons really unlocked anything in 2019 2020 before he was dealt away and the Orioles brought him back right so maybe there's a reunion there they've shown the willingness to re-sign guys that they've dealt away in the past yeah uh, all right next question coming from the mailbag this uh, uh, comes from Brooks McLeod give your first and 100th percentile outcomes for Grayson Rodriguez Gunnar Henderson, and Colton Kowser in the majors next year. Ooh. And I will say first percentile outcomes, unfortunately for every player, is that they suffer a season-ending injury. Yeah. I think that's the worst outcome that you can come up for every player. So I'm going to say the second percentile outcomes for all these guys, and then we'll give our 100 percentile outcome. Brendan, my second percentile outcome for Grayson Rodriguez is that he – struggles so much in spring training that he has to start in the season in Norfolk. He has a season this year like D.L. Hall had last year where everybody was expecting him to join the rotation at some point during the season and he just can't establish himself as a big leaguer. Maybe he goes back and forth. Maybe he's brought up very late in the season or maybe he just shows that he's not good enough. That that would be the absolute worst-case scenario, I think, for Grayson Rodriguez this year. Yeah, I agree, and I, I said the same thing. He doesn't crack the rotation. He has to start the year in Norfolk, but let's say, because this question is in the majors next year, so let's say the first percentile for Grayrod is he makes the starting rotation and gets shelled. It's not going to happen. That's why it's the first percentile, but it's entirely possible that a rookie pitcher who missed most of last season with an injury comes up to the bigs and struggles much more than expected. He gets rocked. He bounces back and forth between AAA and the majors, never really finds his footing, and there are question marks going into next season. I think we've seen it before. I mean, I think of Lucas Giolito as a guy who was a former top prospect who everybody was expecting to be the next great starting pitcher, and he really struggled out of the gate. Now, he eventually found his footing, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility that a 23-year-old will struggle. I look back a couple of years ago in the Orioles history, Dean Kramer looked great in a four, in four starts, I think, in 2020, then really struggled in 2021 to the point where he had to be sent back down to Norfolk, then came back up, got hit around again against the Blue Jays and had to go back down. That's within the realm of possibility. I don't think it's likely, but I think that could happen, and that would be the worst-case scenario for Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, absolutely. First percentile outcome for Gunnar Henderson. Mm -hmm. I think it's the strikeouts come back. Yes. 
We have seen Gunnar Henderson struggle with some strikeouts in the minor leagues. He seems to have really shaked that issue. He has shooketh them. Shooken. <laughs> he has shooken them. He doesn't have that issue anymore, but if for some reason they come back and we could see maybe some aggression, maybe he pushes, maybe the mechanics get out of whack. The other thing that I thought about with Gunnar Henderson too is that the Orioles get a little too cute with his positional versatility. And we see a Jorge Mateo type of situation where he is bounced around the field so much between second base, shortstop, and third base that he doesn't get comfortable at any single one of those positions, that he isn't really able to find a groove defensively. And if he's pushing mechanically at the plate and is struggling defensively, doesn't really find a place in the lineup, I think that is, again, really don't think that's going to happen, but this is the worst case scenario. Those strikeouts were an issue two years ago. 143 strikeouts in 105 minor league games in 2021. It was a legitimate thing, gripe, to have about his yeah. game. And he seemingly answered all those questions last year and seemingly righted the ship. But if those issues return, and it's highly possible when you go up to the big leagues that those issues creep back into your game, then that would be a, a serious cause for concern for Gunnar Henderson. And I agree, Brendan. I think... Positional versatility is a huge benefit, and that's why the Orioles have tried to give Gunnar Henderson as many positions as they can. Remember, we saw him playing at first base in Norfolk right before he came up. But if he's struggling at the plate and you couple that with bouncing around the infield where he doesn't really have a home, that can cause some issues as well. I look back to Ryan Mountcastle a couple years ago. Remember, he was great in 2020. Another guy like Dean Kramer, great in 2020. The first month of 2021, in his first 30 games of the season, he hit one homer. He was playing left field. He was struggling mightily defensively. Eventually, he was moved back to first, gave him a permanent home there, and he found his footing. He went on the injured list for a little bit, came back, and then broke the rookie record for the Orioles franchise for home runs that season. So that is what I could see Gunnar Henderson going through if his strikeout issues reappear. Is he... Loses his power. He's bounced around a couple different positions for the first month. But ultimately, I don't think that's likely because, yeah. and if it does happen for the first month, I think he will right the ship because we have heard nothing but good things and we've seen nothing but good things about him over the last year plus. Yeah, don't get cute. Keep him on the left side of the infield. Yeah. Have him play shortstop and third base. Let him find his rhythm over there. Don't get cute with it. All right, next up, Colton Kowser. I think if you're looking at the second percentile again, I'm going second percentile here. I think that he doesn't take the steps forward offensively that he can. And I think that he was billed as a great contact hitter, emerging power when he was coming out of Sam Houston State. And if he fails to hit for contact like he did in the middle of 2022 in the minors when he was with high single A Aberdeen, then that could be an issue for him because I I know that uh, Camden Yards could be friendly to him and the, the right field porch could certainly be friendly to him. But I just think that if he f is struggling like he did in the middle portion of 2022, that could be a worst case scenario for him. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario is just that we don't see him. Right. He struggles so much at AAA Norfolk that it doesn't really seem like a huge priority to get him up to the majors for whatever reason maybe he's just not ready and then if he does get up to the majors to get to that second half of the question maybe getting him at bats just isn't really a huge priority 
because he's struggled so much at AAA Norfolk that it doesn't really seem to make all that much of a difference whether or not he is getting reps at the major league level and his stock just really takes a hit in terms of what we thought Colton Kowser could be moving forward. And I look back to Yusniel Diaz as a former top prospect in the Orioles system who was seemingly on the verge of the big leagues for years and couldn't push through. Large part of that was injuries, but he struggled offensively. He couldn't establish a rhythm. He never really played 100 games in a minor league season. You hope that doesn't happen, but we've seen it happen before to top prospects who have all the talent in the world. Yusniel Diaz was a former you know, uh, five-tool prospect, like Colton Kowser has been billed. So it's certainly on the table. That's the second percentile outcome, uh, is that he, he doesn't get to come up to Baltimore this year because of a mix of poor play and injuries. And I don't think any of these are going to happen. No, let's give our 100th percentile. Yeah, let's, those are way more fun. Yeah, I think 100th percentile for Grayson Rodriguez doesn't allow a run all season. <laughs> he has the longest scoreless streak in Major League Baseball history. Yeah. He walks to a Cy Young and Rookie of the Year. The Orioles win the World Series. Easy. That's the 100th percentile outcome. Yeah, sure is. 100th percentile for Grayson Rodriguez. I think we see a season similar to what we saw this year from George Kirby in Seattle, similar to Nick Lodolo in Cincinnati, where they are billed as one of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball, and they pitch like it. Yeah. I mean, we saw George Kirby go seven scoreless innings against the Houston Astros in the playoffs. I think Grayson Rodriguez has the potential to be really, really good right out of the gate. I think he has the potential to be the best starter in this rotation. That is my 100th percentile. By midseason, Grayson Rodriguez is the ace of this rotation, and he wins rookie of the year. Yeah, I think 99th percentile I'll give. I think he makes the team out of camp. I think it's he wins rookie of the year, like you said, 350 ERA, maybe even lower. And he is the ace of that rotation, at least until John Means comes back. And yeah. he is the guy that they expect him to be. I think for Gunnar Henderson, it's similar. The meteoric rise that we saw in 2022 from Gunner continues. And he hits 30 homers onto Utah Street. He gets a couple plaques onto Utah, Utah Street. He wins Rookie of the Year. Or he finishes second to Grayson Rodriguez. My 99th percentile for Gunnar Henderson, all-star, top 25 player in baseball. All-star? Yep. Wow. I think... I mean, that's 99. I think there is an outcome here where Gunnar Henderson has a wander type of impact there's, on there, this Orioles There's team. an outcome here... That because what's he bad at? A chicken falls from the sky sure. during this podcast. If he hits his ceiling, which is what a 100th percentile projection would look like, if he yeah. hits his ceiling on literally all of his tools, <laughs> he is a top 25 player in baseball. Sure. Immediately. Uh, Colton Kowser's 99th or 100th percentile outcome, I think he lights it up in camp so much that he becomes impossible to ignore and he makes the team out of Ooh. camp. That's the 100th percentile outcome. I I don't think this is very likely. I think that he almost definitely starts in AAA Norfolk, but he could get called up very early. Let's say he's hitting 350 in the first month of the season and Kyle Stowers is struggling or Austin Hayes continues to struggle. I think that that's a low-key storyline to follow is not necessarily that right field spot, but the left field spot. If the Orioles want to call up Colton Kowser and give him more starts in left field and relegate Austin Hayes to more of a bench piece, 
I think that that could be something to follow as well because I think Austin Hayes has to hit the ground running in 2023 in order to hold on to his spot for the long term. Yeah, I think my 99th percentile for Colton Kowser is that he starts the year in AAA Norfolk, lights the world on fire for the first three weeks, comes up to the majors, gets some reps, and just starts in the outfield and does not let that job go. Right. I could see it happening. A fun follow-up to this as well, Paul, on YouTube. Will the Orioles have a Braves-like Rookie of the Year season where they had Spencer Strider and Michael Harris as the top two in Rookie of the Year voting with Grayrod and Gunnar Henderson? I think it's pretty possible. It's very possible. If there's going to be one team to do it, looking at it right now, I think it's most likely going to be the Orioles. They might be the two best rookies in baseball this year. Yeah. They're, at least in terms of the pedigree of getting called up this year. I mean, obviously, the Mets with Alvarez, the Diamondbacks will have Corbin Carroll, but when you look at kind of the top four or five prospects in the bigs, Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez are two of those guys. I mean, the Orioles are the only team that has two guys in the top five of MLB Pipeline's yeah. top 100 prospect list. Yeah, Gunnar at two. And Grayson, and Grayson could be number one if he wasn't injured last year. And I think it's going to be interesting. I think at some point over the next couple of weeks, usually MLB Pipeline refreshes their top 100 during the offseason, and I think that we could see some shift there. Uh, and I don't know if we're going to see Gunner jump over Francisco Alvarez. I don't know if we're going to see Grayson. The injury to the lat that he had may drop him down further in the top 10, but I think we're going to get a shakeup there. Yeah. But absolutely, I think that it's on the table. It's going to take... Great, great all-time rookie seasons from both of these guys to have them both finish in the top three, but it's certainly possible. Yeah, and at least based on pedigree and, you know, however you want to judge those top 100 rankings, but Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez, much higher up on that list than Michael Harris and Spencer Strider were. Right. All right, next question in our mailbag comes from Ben Appel. Apple? Appel? Appel? I think it's Appel. Okay. If the O's don't get another starter... Who makes the rotation out of spring training? I have, in no particular order, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, Kyle Gibson, Grayson Rodriguez, and Tyler Wells. I think it's those five as well. Yep. I think that you nailed it. I think those five, in no particular order, will be the Orioles' starting five if they don't acquire another starting pitcher via trade or via free agency. Yeah, Kyle Gibson's a lock. You just paid him $10 million to be in this rotation. I think Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish are... 99% locks. I don't see any way they wouldn't be in this starting rotation. I think Grayson Rodriguez, assuming all things go well in spring training, he looks totally healthy. He is pretty clearly one of the five best pitchers at any level within this organization. I think he's in the rotation as well. Tyler Wells is the only one that presents any question marks for me because of the injury we saw last year, but the Orioles worked really hard to make him a starter last season. I don't think that is going to be a project that they just throw out the window after a single year. I think Tyler Wells could be the first one back in the bullpen if the Orioles decide that D.L. Hall is ready to go or if they bring in somebody else or whenever John Means is able to make it back probably halfway through this season. I think Tyler Wells could be the first one out, but he is still in at this point for me. Michael Elias said late last year that D.L. Hall still had a lot of work to do in order to be a consistent big league starter, but maybe he accomplishes all that he needs to accomplish this offseason, and he goes into Sarasota and blows everyone's socks off and makes the rotation out of spring training. But other than D.L. Hall, I don't know if there's anybody else that should be in competition 
that could take Tyler Wells or anybody else's spot in this rotation. I mean, maybe if Tyler Wells really struggles in spring training, it, it wasn't that long ago that we saw Keegan Aiken. Everybody had him that entire offseason written in pen as one of the starting five, and he allowed 10 earned runs in 10 innings in Sarasota and yeah. was relegated to Norfolk, I believe, to start the year. So that's possible. I just think that Tyler Wells, all of these guys in this rotation have more talent. I think Kramer, Bradish, and Grayson all have more talent. Yeah, I think D.L. Hall is the X factor. I think it's, like you said, he comes out in spring training and lights the world on fire and just looks like you can't keep him out of the rotation. I think Tyler Wells is the first one to go back to the bullpen. Or maybe you just run a six-man rotation and get D.L. Hall in there when you can. But I think Hall is going to be the big question mark throughout the year as to when he makes the starting rotation. Because I think it's when. I don't think it's if. Next question from Julian Tice. Sure. Face. How do you think each of the other AL East teams match up against the O's? And do you think the O's have an advantage over one or more teams in the AL East? And I want to take this question and kind of use it as a springboard to review the moves that the other AL East teams have made. Yeah. Let's start with the Yankees, Brendan. They won... Do we have to? 99 games last year. Yep. They re-signed Anthony Rizzo. They re-signed Arson Judge. They added Carlos Rodon. (laughs) They really didn't lose any major pieces that I can think of. Lucas Litke, they traded away. Andrew Benintendi, they lost in free agency. They did lose Andrew Benintendi, but it's not like he played a ton of games for them in the second half. Yeah, he was injured most of the second half of last year. There are maybe still some question marks with them in a corner outfield, but you are also adding a full year of Harrison Bader, who was hurt most of last season and was excellent in the playoffs. You are hopefully adding a healthy season of Luis Severino. If you're the Yankees, you're adding a healthy Frankie Montas as your number five star. I mean, they're even outside of the guys that they signed, just getting healthy is a huge thing for the Yankees. DJ LeMayhew will be back. You can just run down the list. This team is primed to be a juggernaut. They are primed to be one of the best teams in all of baseball. They do not have any holes. They might have the best starting rotation in all of baseball. They have a top five lineup. The Orioles do not line up well against the New York Yankees. I think there are approximately zero teams in Major League Baseball that line up well against the Yankees. How about the Blue Jays? They won 92 games last year, lost in the wild card round. They added Chris Bassett. They added Kevin Kiermeyer. They traded for Dalton Varsho. They lost Ross Stripling, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel. I think they got better this winter. I don't think it's massive strides. I don't think it, they took the kind of steps forward that the Yankees did by bringing in Carlos Rodon. But I think Bassett makes them a better team. I think Varsho is a better outfielder than the combination of Teoscar Hernandez and Gurriel. And I think Kevin Kiermeyer is a solid piece for them as well. I think they probably win around the same number of games next year, 92 to 95. Yeah, I don't think they got massively better. I don't think they made huge strides, but they made enough to make it seem like they're going to be a playoff team that's going to win around 90 games. Yeah. 90 to 95 would be my guess for the Blue Jays. And again, you look at their lineup, you look at their starting rotation one through five, there's really not any holes Who knows how the team will actually perform? That's just how they look on paper. But on paper, they really don't have any weaknesses. So, again, another team that the Orioles do not line up well against because there aren't a lot of teams in baseball that do. 
Bo Bichette last year had a somewhat of a down season. If he comes back to form, he could be an MVP candidate. Yeah, even Vladdy didn't play up to Vladdy's standards exactly. last year. I, I think it's a very dangerous team. All right, next up, the Rays won 86 games. They lost in the same wild card round. They added Zach Eflin. They lost Kevin Kiermeyer and Corey Kluber and G-Man Choi. The Rays could do absolutely anything. They could lose half their team and replace them with prospects, and yeah. I would still peg them to win 85 to 90 games. Yeah, it's not going to matter. I mean, the list of guys that they brought in and the list of guys that they lost, I think the biggest addition that they'll have this year is a healthy Tyler Glass now, who was their ace two seasons ago, missed pretty much all of last year with an injury. They still have Shane McClanahan. I mean, they still have Wander. They still have a ton of talented players but even if they didn't they would win 85 games i don't know what it is with the tampa bay rays you could put anything on this field it seems like and they're gonna just win 85 games with kevin cash yeah they're very good they're a very good team they're a very well-run organization they they just know how to get it done at the big league level and no moves that they have made in this offseason have convinced me otherwise how about the boston red sox though talk about an organization that over the last uh few Oof. months has uh Fallen on some tough times. They yeah. won 78 games last year. They missed the playoffs. They signed Justin Turner. They signed Corey Kluber. They lost, uh, is it Alexander? Ex they added Yoshida as well. Bog Bogerts? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Alexander Bogerts. Xandar Bogerts. And uh, J.D. Martinez. I don't Yeah. Names new names to me. They lost Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Nathan Avaldi, and Eric Hosmer. Oof. They are a worse team this year than they were last year. Yeah. Uh, they lost significant depth in their rotation. Michael Waka was good for them last year. He's still out there. Evaldi was good for them last year. He signed elsewhere. They had a bad offseason. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's another... I think they could save a lot of it, and they could do themselves a favor by extending Xander Bogarts, but that doesn't... Or, Raphael, Raphael Devers. Raphael Devers, excuse me. Too late for Bogarts. Yeah. If they if they extend Raphael Devers, but that won't make them a better team this year no. because he's still going to be on the team in 2023. Uh, I think they could still be frisky. I think, you know, uh, the time that I count them out is the time that they win 85 games, 90 games. I just don't think they got any better. I think they got worse. Yeah, they add Yoshida, who could be yeah. exciting. Don't really know how his game is going to translate from Japan. He's not a big power hitter. He might be kind of an Andrew Benintendi-like player where he hits 10 to 12 homers, hits for a good average. It's a good leadoff hitter. It's a good piece. And then you, as you mentioned, you add Justin Turner, who's pretty good. He had kind of a similar season to J.D. Martinez last year, but I think J.D. Martinez is a better baseball player. And he didn't really do much else outside of that. You add Corey Kluber. Hey, that's fine. But you lost Evaldi, you lost Bogarts, you lost J.D. Martinez, you don't know what Chris Sale is going to be this year. There are so many questions around the diamond. You're putting Trevor Story at shortstop when you don't know how he's going to hold up there defensively. Yeah. You signed him to a huge contract and he didn't really play well last year. You don't know if you're going to re-sign Devers. Chris Sale, to me, is the X factor here. Yeah. I think it, if he... He only pitched two games last year, and if he is magically healthy and pitches 150 innings this year, that rotation looks a lot better. But what are the chances that that, that happens? I mean, he's pitched 11 games the last two seasons. So yeah. if if a miracle occurs and Chris Sale is all better and looks great, he could definitely elevate that team. But other than that, they're kind of hoping for a lot of things that 
have a low outcome. Yeah, and I mean, in the, in the starting rotation, you're hoping for sale, but outside of him, you're looking at Corey Kluber, Nick Pavetta, Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Houck. That's question marks across the board. Yeah. So I think the Orioles, when you compare them to other teams, and this plays into the next question, which we got from Orioles Fan UK, which says, based on your prediction of how the rest of the offseason will go, what's realistic expectations for wins for Baltimore next season, and where do you see us finishing in the AL East as a result? These two questions play into each other. I think the Orioles, when you stack them up against the other teams in the AL East, they're behind the Yankees, they're behind the Blue Jays, they're probably still behind the Rays, although I think it's close. I think they're ahead of the Red Sox. So right where they were last year, I think is where they are again this year, which is tough to say that coming off an 83-win season that you are going to be, again, the fourth-best team in your division. But again, I think it's the best or maybe second-best to the NL East division in baseball. Although the NL West is pretty frisky as well with the Padres and Dodgers. But yeah, I think I think a very East, good division. I think it's the best division in baseball. Yeah, because it's, it's even, even when you look at the NL East, you still have the Nationals, who are not going to be good. You still have the Marlins, who are not going to be good. The top three teams are obviously excellent, but... The bottom two, eh, not yeah. so much. AL East, I think, is deeper because even if you think the Red Sox are the worst team in the division, they're frisky. Like you said, it's, it's still the Boston Red Sox. Right. I think I would say 85 wins. I think the peak here is like 90 if you get a full season of a healthy Adley, healthy Gray Rod, healthy Gunner. They continue their upward trajectory, turn into the stars that we think they can and will be you could be looking at a team that wins 88 to 90 games. I think realistically, I'm looking at around 85. You're somewhere in there with the Rays, maybe the Blue Jays, if the Blue Jays underperform again. I'm looking at around 85 wins. I've got about 86 because you look at last year, you didn't have Adley the whole year. You obviously didn't have Grayson, like you said. You're adding those guys. You didn't have Gunner until last month of the season. You're adding full seasons from your top three prospects. You could be getting Colton Kowser. And they did make moves around the periphery. Adam Frazier is a better addition than Rugnet Odor was last year. I think Kyle Gibson is at least as good this year or will be as good this year as Jordan Lyles was last year. So I see room for improvement internally, and I see them making moves around the periphery. But the question also was uh, about our prediction for the rest of the offseason. And I don't think the Orioles make any more major. I think the odds are against them making another major upgrade at this point just because Michael Elias has always thrown water, cold water on trades because it's difficult to have two teams' needs line up like that. But I could be wrong. And if yeah. they make an addition like a Pablo Lopez, like a Tarek Skubal, like a Corbin Burns, then they could be a 90-plus win team. I just don't see that happening at this point. But I could be very wrong. Yeah, and they've made upgrades. Again, we've talked about how Kyle Gibson and Adam Frazier and James McCann are upgrades from what they did last year. Uh, To address a comment on Facebook from Keith, who is again asking about liftoff and saying, once again, are you guys actually going to comment on that this week? Uh, Keith, watch a podcast challenge because we talk about it every single week. Man's getting close to getting blocked. They have, again, we have talked about the liftoff thing. We're not going to talk about it again because there are plenty of fun questions to get to. They've made upgrades. This is a better team than it was last year. Watch a previous podcast. We've talked about it every single week. All right. Another question from Ben Appel. 
Uh, if the O's traded for an ace with a fairly short contract like Corbin Burns, what are the odds that they can extend that pitcher for longer term? This is a tougher one. Yeah. Uh, because it depends on the pitcher. It depends on the player. And I think the Orioles would prefer to get somebody like every team would prefer to get somebody with more years of control. Corbin Burns only has two years under contract, I believe. Pablo Lopez only has two years under contract. Tarek Skubal has four years under contract, I believe. So I think the Orioles would try to target somebody more in that ilk. Um, and I don't see somebody like Corbin Burns, who has Cy Young pedigree, wanting to take a discount in, an, in the form of an extension. Yeah, it takes so long for players to get to free agency yeah. that it seems like somebody like Corbin Burns is just going to wait and say, I'm going to get a bag and a half in free agency. Yeah. And unless you blow him away with an offer that you know buys out the rest of his years of arbitration in a really beneficial way for him and gives him something comparable to what he thinks he can get in free agency a few years down the line, then maybe. But I think you'd have to kind of overpay to keep him, which might not be the worst thing if it's somebody like Corbin Burns because that's an ace who you would like to have on your team for a very long time. But as you mentioned, I don't think the odds are high with somebody like Corbin Burns. Odds might be higher for somebody like Pablo Lopez, who has just kind of consistently been a very good pitcher and doesn't really have that ace Cy Young kind of potential that Corbin Burns has. And of course, with Tarek Skubal, he just has team control. You yeah. don't have to re-sign him if you trade for him. But if they do trade for Corbin Burns, I think it would be very, very difficult to tr to re-sign him, which is probably a lot of teams' hesitation, which right. is how much do you want to give up for somebody that might hit the free agent market in a year and a half? Exactly. Because unless you are so confident that you have a World Series window in the next year and then it closes after that, I don't think the Orioles are in that kind of spot right now. They have a big window. I don't know if Corbin Burns makes a ton of sense unless you can re-sign him. More of this bag and a half, dude and a half. Yeah. You keep adding half things. It's to add emphasis to what if the it, thing. What if it was just a bag and a smaller bag? Like a large bag and then a... Well, wouldn't that be a bag and a half? It depends on the container. I mean, are we talking two of the same size bags and you only fill up one halfway? Oh. Are we talking large bags? That's more bags? of a, which would you rather have a big bag halfway full or a smaller bag completely full, even though they have the same amount? That, that Depends feels on like how a, you look at life. Are right. you a glass half full kind of person? I'm a glass half a onion half full kind of person. Glass, nice. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that the Orioles at this point want to have a longer window of contention than the next two years. Yes. And it's difficult to get somebody. And it's not like you are extending them and paying them for pre-arbitration years. I think you look at what the Braves have done over the last several years, and part of the reason they're able to sign guys under market value is because they're buying out their pre-arbitration years. When they're doing that with Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies, they're paying them more in their first three years in the big leagues Corbin Burns is already in the arbitration process. Uh, Pablo Lopez is already in the arbitration proce uh, process. So it's not like you're paying them $10 million in a year where they would be getting otherwise half a million or a million dollars. They're already going to be getting about $10 million a year. So you have to pay those that amount for the next two years, and then you have to extend them. Right. So it's going to be difficult to do. Right. Next question coming from Derek. 
How do you envision the second baseman rotations between Adam Frazier and Ramon Arias? And could you call could a call up possibly become an everyday starter in that position at the end of the year? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. Yeah. I think Adam Frazier probably has the leg up in terms of starts at second base. I could see him getting 80 to 90 games there and then maybe getting 30 to 40 games in a corner outfield spot or just somewhere else. The reason I say that is because even though Frazier is versatile, he doesn't have the same infield versatility that Ramon Arias has. I think Arias is a very valuable piece and him not getting the most starts at second base is not a reflection of the kind of player that he is. It's more of a reflection of his versatility and what he gives you at different spots. Yeah. So I project Ramon Arias will get 50 to 60 games at second base, 40 to 50 games at third base, and maybe 10 to 20 somewhere else, whether he's DHing or maybe he plays shortstop a few games, wherever it might be. I think we see Ramon Arias move around a lot more. It's a domino effect. The Orioles have a bunch of versatile infielders, and yes. they have Ramon Arias who can play second base, third base, shortstop in a pinch. They have Jorge Mateo who is mostly a shortstop. They have Gunnar Henderson who can play shortstop, third base, maybe even second base. I don't think we'll see it a whole lot. So they have all these guys that can move around, and I think it depends on how the Orioles want to play different teams different nights. The shift being banned might be a big factor here. Yeah. Who they're facing in a starting pitcher is going to be a big factor here, whether they face more lefties, whether they face more righties, just how the belt, the ball bounces that way. I see a similar breakdown. I see Adam Frazier playing about 90 games at second base. Ramon Rios playing about 50. So it leaves an extra 20 that Taron Vavra could take. I think shortstop is going to be mostly Jorge Mateo's 80 games there, about half. I see Gunnar Henderson getting about 60 games at shortstop. I don't see Ramon Arias working his way into the shortstop rotation because of those two, locking that down. And then I see third base mostly being Gunnar's spot. 90 games I have for Gunnar at third base, about 60 for Arias at, at third base. So that gives him 110 games total for Ramon Arias between second base and third base. And the question is, where does Jordan Westberg fit into all this? Yep, Because he's the one that I think of could be the everyday starter that Derek mentions here. Westberg, I think, is going to get called up at some point during the season. I think had the Orioles not gone out and signed Adam Frazier, I think there was a very good chance that Jordan Westberg would make the team out of camp. But I think Frazier complicates that. I think there's still a chance he makes the team out of camp. And I think it's entirely possible that by halfway through the season, either Jordan Westberg or Connor Norby is your everyday second baseman. I think it's entirely possible. I, I don't think the Orioles are going to be completely tied to Adam Frazier. Right. And even if they still want to play him a good amount, we could see Adam Frazier getting reps everywhere. Between second base, he has played pretty much everywhere in the infield in his career. He could play either corner outfield spot. The Orioles can still play him in a bunch of different roles. I think it's possible that Westberg or Norby is just too good at AAA to ignore. Right. And I think... Our projections are if absolutely everybody stays healthy for yes. the entire year. That's not going to happen. Injuries are going to happen. Yep. Guys will get banged up, and they will have to miss time. And I think when we look at this stuff in the offseason, this happens every year, we say, how are they going to get playing time for Jordan Westbrook? How are they going to get playing time for Taron Vavra? It just Kyle works Stowers. out. It'll work itself out. Log jams loosen because of injuries, because of trades. It just happens naturally. So... 
I don't think there's necessarily a log jam here. I think the Orioles are deep, and that's what they should be yes. at this point. Next question from Orioles Muse. Mm-hmm. How high do you think Jackson Holiday will rise Woo-hoo. in this minor league season? He finished the year with low single A Delmarva. He's in his age 19 season. Personally, I think it's safe to say he starts with high single A Aberdeen this year. Do you disagree? I think, I, I wouldn't say that it's safe to say. I mean, he did not get very many games in Delmarva last year. I think All he only played. It as safe to say. I think he only played, what, 12 games in Delmarva last year? Something around that. Something yeah. around in that, that number. In that ilk. Somebody, in that ilk. <laughs> somebody in the comments said that I'm using in that ilk very effectively today. Yeah. So I'm going to continue to use it. So I wouldn't say that it's assured that Jackson Holiday starts the year in Aberdeen. I would agree that I think it's probably what's going to happen. I don't know if I'd say safe to say. But let's go with he starts the year in Aberdeen. I would see him getting 50 games there. I think he's going to play very well. I would be very surprised if we don't see Jackson Holiday posting a great on-base percentage. But I said the same thing about Colton Kowser, who started in Aberdeen last season. He struggled more than people expected last year. He was a polished college hitter, whereas Jackson Holiday is still very polished, but a high school hitter. Yeah. So I think Jackson Holiday will play well in Aberdeen. I could see him getting around 50 games there. I don't think he gets higher than double-A Bowie. I think if Jackson Holiday ends this season in double-A, in his age 19 year, you are thrilled with the progress that he has made. And I think he stays there. Yeah. I think he stays in double A Bowie, but look, it could be a Gunnar Henderson type of situation where he ends the year with Bowie. Maybe they make a playoff push. And all of a sudden you're looking at somebody entering his age 20 season, two years down the line with the potential to be in triple a Norfolk and maybe even the big leagues by the end of the year. Yeah. It's, Certainly within the realm of possibility because he is the number one overall pick. I mean, he has that kind of pedigree that, frankly, Gunnar Henderson didn't have. I yeah. mean, Gunnar Henderson has far outseeded, far exceeded, I always have trouble with that phrase, far exceeded his draft position and what was expected from his draft position. Jackson Holiday's the number one pick. And we've seen Gunnar Henderson move up two levels in a year. We saw last year Colton Kowser, Connor Norby move up two different levels over the course of a season, it's possible. And for somebody who is that talented, he may just be too good for high single A Aberdeen by the end of the year. Yeah. And so maybe even if he starts the year with low single A Delmarva, they send him back there, they could still move him up twice during the course of the season, and he ends up in Bowie by the end of the year. Yeah, I think it's Bowie. I I think he is going to be excellent. He was the number one pick for a reason. We have heard reports saying that people would be surprised if he wasn't a superstar. I think we could see a Gunnar Henderson type of trajectory, but it just won't be as surprising because Gunnar Henderson, as you mentioned, did not have the draft pedigree. He is not already a top 15 prospect in baseball like Jackson Holiday is. This is the number one pick. This is somebody who is polished, incredibly exciting, and it's also just really fun that this Orioles team is good and they also have Jackson Holiday. Yeah. That's really cool. Last question. Most important question from Morgan I might Strong. Say. Yeah. Waffles or pancakes? And personally, I'll say that I grew up as a pancake guy. I mean, I, I was the first in the kitchen when I knew my mom was making pancakes in sure. the morning. First down the stairs. Waffles have grown on me. Maybe it's the maturity of being in my mid to late 20s, but 
waffles have started to pique my interest more than they would. Yeah. I find myself ordering a waffle at times when I would order a pancake. I feel like even the worst waffle is better than the worst pancake. Good I think take. that the the baseline for a waffle is better than a pancake. Now, that being said, if you get great pancakes, that may be better than a waffle because great pancakes, I mean, if you go to a good diner that has good pancakes, you yeah. put a little butter on there, put some syrup on there, that's excellent. But I just don't know if pancakes have the same floor that waffles have. I have some takes on this. I think personally- Let me bring up my notes. <laughs> personally, oh, I, I took notes on it. Personally- I, I do like a little bit of the, the crispiness. I think if you get like a nice little crisp sure. waffle that's like crispy on the outside and then it's it's nice and soft, I think that's better. I would like to present two arguments, Paul. First argument being, is it chicken and pancakes? It's chicken and waffles. It's chicken and waffles. But I'm not the biggest chicken Argument and number two, is it a pancake cone? I'm not here to fuck. When you get an ice cream cone, is it a pancake cone? That's only, it's not like- It's a, a waffle cone. Okay, but that's a different beast I don't entirely. care. That's a different, because we're talking- It talk counts. We're talking about a cake, but it's a cake cone if you get it otherwise. So cake is whoa, in the whoa, name. Whoa, 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 When's the last time you got a cake cone and not probably, a waffle cone? Probably when I was 10, but they exist. Yeah, but you get a waffle cone. Pancakes are still used in a lot of different ways. I can't think of any Less off cool the top, ones. <laughs> top no, of my I head. bet you can't. But Pancake. I could think of chicken and waffles, and I can think of a waffle cone. Is it a waffle block in the NFL? When somebody lays somebody out, it's a pancake block. Yeah, now you're stretching. Uh, now you sound ridiculous. Look, my hamstrings have been stretched this morning, okay? Uh, uh, nobody needed to know that. <laughs> I, I, I do my stretches in the morning. Thank you. Uh, here's the other thing I will say. Yeah. Chocolate chips in a waffle, not nearly as good as chocolate chips in a pancake. Pancakes have better variations if you're cooking stuff in them but i would argue you can put stuff on top of a waffle yeah i think the stuff that goes on top of a waffle is better on a waffle than it is on a pancake like what like I don't know, if strawberries some, fruit yeah kind of stuff. strawberries yeah. like some peaches and cream on a waffle that's fair but some apples and cinnamon on a waffle when was the last time you ordered a waffle with peaches and cream how many places offer that? I don't know. Chocolate chip pancakes. That's a good diner thing to order. I think chocolate chip pancakes, to me, are peak. Chocolate chip pancakes they're good. are better than anything you could put on a waffle. They're better than chocolate chip waffles. Because they're they're inside the pancake. Yeah. I mean, there's everything you could possibly want in a fluffy, delicious buttermilk pancake. G-Man on YouTube agrees. It's waffles all the way. Ugh. All right. He gets syrup in every bite. One, one the, Waffles are better at getting syrup. In, in They are, and yeah. I will say that that's... But also, pancakes soak up the syrup very well. Whereas waffles, if they're too crispy, if they're too crispy, you can't deny this, it's hard for the waffles to absorb the right amount of syrup. Sure, but I think a good crispy waffle is better than, like, the best pancake. Yeah, but the... No, I disagree, because the fine line also between a crispy waffle... I'm saying the best waffle. Okay, but the fine line between... Somebody, somebody comes out and says, here is the best waffle ever made, and here is the best pancake ever, ever say, made. I am taking the waffle. I'll say you- 10 times out of 10. You, sir, have too much dip on your chip, because that is, you are taking that- You have too much syrup on your pancake. <laughs> I do. Uh, one thing I will say in Waffle's defense, though, the, so they're sold commercially a lot better. 
you're not going to find frozen pancakes. Stranger Things good. has done great things for the waffle community. And Eggos are excellent. I Eggos mean, are excellent. They, they're great. So I'll, I'll say they're sold commercially, but a diner chocolate chip pancake. You can take a waffle on the go. You're going to take a pancake on a go? <laughs> that wasn't go. really English. I'm too worked up. How often do you take a waffle on the go? How often do you take a pancake on the go? The same amount of times they take a waffle. You have on the go, never taken a pancake on the go. I think I have taken a waffle on the go, like maybe once in my life, but that is enough uh, yeah. to be more than I have ever taken a pancake on the go. All right. Well, we'll let you, the viewer and listener, decide. You can watch the Mass and All Access podcast. Oh, D Ray says pancakes are better. I'm out. I, I, the debate is yet to be had. Yeah. Uh, you can watch us every. Wednesday at 11 a.m. Also go live sometimes for breaking news. Occasionally, at Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Please keep the questions going as well. Mostly yeah. about waffles and pancakes. Only about food items and yeah. what we choose to do with them. Brendan, unless major news breaks over the next week, we are going to do on our next podcast the all-future Orioles draft. Yeah. Part one it's going to be next week, part two, the following week. We're going to bring back Tim Leonard. We've already determined the draft order. You have the number one overall pick. Tim has the number two pick. I have the number three pick. It's a snake order draft. We're essentially going into the future, three, two years now at this point, yeah, to 2025, and we are trying to build the best possible team of guys that are already in the Orioles system. Yeah. So it's going to be an interesting exercise to see where the three of us have prospect ranks, prospects ranked where the prospects compare to the current big leaguers. I'm excited. Yeah, no, me too. This is the my favorite podcast that we do all year. It's like a Captain America and the first Avengers situation where they like freeze them for a while and then they wake them up and they're like, Cap, like, we need the Avengers, except somebody did that with us and it's 2025 and they're like, please, you need to make a good Orioles team right now. That's what we're trying to do. Is that where that we're made sense? Sure. Don't give me that look. That All made right. sense. All right. Uh, so that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. That we have next week, and uh, we can't wait to uh, to share with you, unless the Orioles go out and trade for Pablo Lopez, in which we'll push that back. Yeah. But thanks so much for tuning into the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks to Amy Jennings for producing this one. And, of course, the Mass and All Access podcast is brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota, and let's go places. We'll catch you next time.